So, Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that administrates it. Lord, you had a goal, a mission, among many missions, but, Lord, of making disciples. And so, Lord, as we are discipled and as we become disciples, and then, Lord, as we intentionally disciple others, would you have your way in us? Would you always help us, Lord, and remind us by the power of the Holy Spirit to keep you as the main thing? You're our journey and our destination. We love you. In Jesus' name, come on, amen. Moaz, powerful, powerful, powerful. Just the presence and sincerity of Jesus this morning. I want to continue sharing on the centrality of Jesus as we're making Him Lord and we're uh, allowing Him, everybody say allowing. We're allowing Him to advance His kingdom in our heart. He starts in your spirit, but it is a takeover. And he wants to uh, help evolve and shape your thought life, your soulish man, your, your thoughts, your emotions, and your will to look more and more like him. The spirit sows, the soul of man receives that the body may birth. In other words, the body may reveal the life that's been conceived on the inside. So we're, we're just in love with Jesus, right, Roger? I mean, we're laying him as the foundation of everything we are. We're learning to abide. We're learning to live a connected life to Him. We're going to talk a lot about that today. We're learning obedience. You know, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? You don't do the things I ask you to do. But how many of you know, we need to live in connection with His voice so we can know what He's asking us to do. Man, for plenty of my Christian life, I just took scriptures I thought He'd like and I went out and tried to perform them. (laughs) He wasn't asking me to do it. I was just trying to do things that were pleasing to him. And as I said last week, guys, until you know and are at rest in your union, your marriage union to Jesus Christ on the inside of you, until you rest in that, till you know that in your knower, you will consciously or subconsciously work towards that union, work for that union instead of working from it and participating with him and his life that is on the inside of you. So we're learning to abide. We're learning obedience um, through knowing his person. We, we're always going to be getting to know him. Growing in our knowing. Amen. Uh, we're also getting to know his work because we're students of Jesus. We are disciples of Jesus. If you look in scripture, the word disciple means student, learner, and follower. We've talked about so far in regard to the works of Jesus uh, five of them, and we're on the fifth one. Number one is reintroduce the kingdom of God to us by putting the Spirit of God back in us. That uh, He might extend His Father's kingdom through us. And we talk a lot about, you know, Christ living in you, but we don't want to just let Him be dormant and put Him over in the closet and close the door. He doesn't want to just be resident in your life. He wants to be president. Yeah. He wants to be the chief decision maker. Of your life. Number two, uh, Jesus came on mission to destroy the works of the devil. Shame, guilt, condemnation. See you later. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And remember, I was in John chapter eight this morning, the woman caught in adultery. Remember, uh, he asked her, he said, well, after he told the crowd, whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And from the oldest to the youngest, they all threw their rocks down and went home and he said, does no one condemn you? And she looked around and said, no one, Lord. And he said this, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So the power to really the first steps to overcoming sin, to go and sin no more, comes from knowing you're not condemned. 
by Jesus. You need to know that in your knower. And then from that empowerment that, hey, He loves me. He's for me. He's going to give the helper to me. Out of that, I can live a free life. But the power to go and sin no more comes from knowing you're not condemned. Number three, He came to initiate a brand new covenant. And then number four, He came not to judge, but for judgment. He said in John chapter 9, verse 39, judgment meaning a distinction being made from those who believe that Jesus is who he says he is and then those who did not believe that he was who he said he was. And then number five, this is where we're at. Jesus came to make disciples. Now, we define a disciple at Grace Church as someone who abides in him. That means live in, in the relational reality of your union with him. You're going to live connected. You, abiding in Him, does not cause the union to happen. You have the union as a gift from Jesus Christ. Amen? You don't work for that. You work from that. So He gifted you relationship with Himself. But out of that union, you can choose to participate with it. Choose to live in the relational reality of your union with Him. So that's what abiding is. Someone who abides, and Jesus said His disciples abide in Him and abide in His Word, Logos, which is Him, uh, so we're living intimately with Him on a daily basis. And then out of that, we become more and more like Him. We walk in His ways. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of Jesus starts showing up in our lives. Uh, and then number three, we work the works of God. A disciple will work the works of God in the sense that we'll partner with Him to what? Destroy the works of the devil? To in- intentionally disciple others? Uh you know, all the things that we've listed so far in this series, we get to partner with. So let's go to John chapter 3. I'm going to read for you a couple of sections of it. This is the Passion Translation. I've not used this one yet. But John 17, 3, Jesus speaking, Eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God. And to know and experience Jesus Christ as the Son whom you have sent. I like that translation because this proves, again, Christianity is not informational or educational. Life in Christ is relational. That you would know Him and experience Him. You cannot get to heaven or get connected to Jesus by living through Steve's relationship with Jesus. You need your own connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. You get to know Him intimately and experience Him uh, as well as the living God. Verse 4. I've glorified you on the earth, Father, by faithfully doing everything you told me to do. So, my Father, restore me back to the glory that we shared together when we were, look at this, face to face before the universe was created. Jesus Christ is God. He's not competing with other religions. He is the one and only true God uh, and made himself out to be. Verse 6, Father, I've manifested who you really are and I've revealed you to the men and women you gave me. That's discipleship. I'm revealing the Father. I'm revealing who Christ is to those I'm walking with. They were yours and you gave them to me and they've fastened your word firmly to their what? To their hearts. Okay. Now let's go down to verse 20. I ask not only for these disciples, but also for those who will one day believe in me through their message. How many of you know that's us? I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize you sent me. Wow. 
So it's out of your oneness, your union with Christ, living in your relational, the re- relational reality of your union with Him, the world begins to see, hey, maybe there is something to this Jesus person. The world does not need more religious ideas or people. We need people who have an authentic relationship, a oneness with the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, For the very glory you've given to me, I have given them, so that they'll be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. Verse 23, You live fully in me, and now I live fully in them. How many of you thought when you got saved, you only got a little bit of Jesus? Maybe just an arm or a leg. He's fully in you. He's fully, everybody say, He's fully in me. What would your life look like if you really lived knowing you lacked nothing? Because what about provision, Brother Steve? The provider lives in you, all of them. Yeah, but uh, what about healing? The healer lives in you in his fullness. What would our lives look like if we really knew we lacked for nothing? Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I lack for nothing. He's my supply. He's my husband. We'll look at this a little bit later. How many of you know lots of good husbands who tell their wives, I know we're married, but you'll have to work for anything you want from me? That'd be a quick marriage, wouldn't it? (laughs) I know I gave you my, my name. I've given you my name. And we share an account. All that's mine is yours. But you'll have to work for anything I mean, if you want a house, you better get after it. You want some money from me, well, you better start working for it. No, when you're married, all that is the husband's belongs to the wife. And Christ is your husband. Until we live in the reality of our union, our marriage union to Christ, we'll consciously or subconsciously work towards that union instead of with it. And it is the lack of that revelation that has given us a million excuses to not bear fruit and have impact like the Lord wants us to have impact. Because I know, listen, it starts with us and it is intimacy and it is union and it is marriage and it is love and all that. But I'm telling you, He loves people that don't know Him. He does. And He wants to partner with us and us with Him to go after them. So I love that. You live fully in me, Father, and I live fully in them so that they'll experience perfect oneness. And the world will be convinced now that you have sent me. They'll, they'll see the reality in my disciples for they'll see that you love each of them. This is the world. The world will see that you love them with the same passionate love you have for me. That's what religion has killed us. Religion cannot demonstrate love because religion works for everything. And if you're working for everything, then you have nothing to give. But once you have it and you're loved eternally, you're loved intimately and you're in union with Christ and his supply, this internal vine, now you can share it. I believe Jesus said as freely as you have received freely. First John 4.20 says we love because he first loved us. You don't have a producing love problem. You have a receiving love problem. We have to take time to receive. We have to live connected in the relational reality of our union. And as we do that, isn't it incredible? The world begins to see who he is. 
Verse 24, Father, I ask that you allow everyone that you've given me to be with me where I am and they'll see my full glory, the very splendor you've placed upon me because you've loved, uh, placed upon me because you have loved even before the beginning of time. That should be loved me before the beginning of time. You are my righteous Father, but the unbelieving world has never known you in the perfect way that I know you. And all those who believe in me also know that you've sent me. I've revealed to them who you are and I will continue to make you even more real to them. That's discipleship. So that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your love will now live in them even as I live in them. Why did he die for your sins? So he could move inside of you. Marry you. Live in union with him, with you and then through that, reproduce. What happens in marriage? You reproduce life. He wants to multiply his life in the hearts and lives of every human being that'll have him, that's poor enough to receive him. But I love verse 26. And I, you know, I've looked at this verse for so many years, 20 years probably. And I love John 17. Sorry, not this verse, this chapter. I love it, but I've never seen how much discipleship is in it. Verse 26, this is the simplicity of it. I'm just revealing to them that you've given me how real you are so they can experience the same endless love. I'm going to show you here in a minute. Jesus didn't just live by principles and information. He lived by relationship with his father. And I I guarantee you he'd much rather him be passed on to others than just principles and information and doctrine and tools or whatever it is. All those things are fine, but they need to serve relationship with the living Christ. Amen, amen, amen. So I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again. To know and experience you, Father, to know and experience your Son, Jesus Christ, life in Christ is not educational or informational. It is relational. It is revelational by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God who testifies of Jesus, who reveals who Jesus is to us, in us, and through us. And so Jesus, as the pattern son, he's the example. Everybody know what I mean by that? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the pattern son. Twenty times in Scripture, he says, follow me. Well, look at this example that he says, he sets by saying, this is John five nineteen. The son can do nothing of himself, but only does what he sees the father do. This is proof that, that it's relational. He's not living by a set of principles and going out and performing them and hoping his father likes them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I worked the word today, man. I worked it hard. I, I took all the scriptures I memorized. And I worked them hard. I hope he liked it. <laughs> Jesus said, live by relationship. Just do whatever the father asks you to do. Whatever you see him doing, participate and do those things. Yeah, Amen. Isn't that something? It's a life of dependence. Adam and Eve were made perfect. Do we have an accord? We agree. Adam and Eve were perfect. We had two perfect people in a perfect world. It still went wrong. <laughs> but you got to have free will, right? Can't have love without a choice. So there had to be a tree linked to disobedience. But they were perfect and made perfect, but they were also made dependent. They were made to be derivative, deriving beings, branches 
from God as their source. Why? Because they had come from Him. Just like fish have to abide in water because they came from water. When God made fish, He actually spoke to the sea to bring forth fish. Well, when He wanted you and me, He spoke to Himself and said, let us make man in our image. So whatever dimension you come out of, that's where you have to abide to have life. And so even though Adam and Eve were made perfect, they were actually made dependent. You know what the original sin was? Trying to be like God without Him. Independence. So Matthew Lahan, who's working sound today. Thank you, Brother Matthew. He sent me this. He was looking up Scripture and eating some passages on what it is to be a child or children of God. Like John chapter 1, verse 12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the power to become children of God. One of my favorites is 3 John 1, 4. Uh, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. Listen to the definition in Bible Hub, in the Helps Word Study, the definition of child or children in a few of these passages in the New Testament. It's number 5043 in Strong's Technon. Properly, it means a child, anyone living in full dependence on the Heavenly Father. In other words, fully and willingly relying upon the Lord in glad submission, which prompts God to then transform them as as their Father into His likeness. A disciple here, we abide in Him, we live connected, then we start becoming like Him, right? And then we... Partner with Him to work the works. As Gavin says, we know Him, then we start show Him, and then we sow Him. And leave the results to Him. But listen to this. As a child, you're living in willing dependence, and it illustrates how we must all live in utter dependence upon the Lord, moment by moment, drawing guidance, care, nurture from our Heavenly Father. And it emphasizes a childlike attitude of the heart that willingly submits to the Father's plan. We profoundly learn this as we are receptive to Christ speaking His rhema word within us to impart faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The word there is rhema. Rhema comes from relational word. He speaks a word to you and with that personal word to you, there's faith, there's power to actually walk out that word He speaks to you. But if you don't know what He's saying because you're not living in the reality of your union with Him, it's going to be hard to have the faith to walk out what He's asking you to do and i just take it from me i'm the poster child of spending years looking in the bible for stuff i should be doing going out and performing for him instead of living by every word that proceeds out of his mouth and doing the things that he's asking me to do which oftentimes he takes me to scripture they marry they marry so it's what's the word i'm looking for it's uh the power of and it's both but it's definitely not instead of (laughs) Anyway, I thought that was a great illustration as far as a child that we're created to live a dependent life. Jesus is basically working from relationship with his father. That was his primary goal, just stay in connection to his father. Well, that's what he wants you to do. Matt and I were talking about this this week in my office. We have so overcomplicated Christianity. You, your, your primary role is just to live in the relational reality of your union to Christ, your husband. 
and learn to acclimate to his voice. And listen, if you struggle hearing his voice, use the scripture. Go to scripture. Let him speak to you through scripture. I'm going to show you here in a little bit a letter that he whispered to me when I was sitting with him in John 15. John 5, 39 and 40 says the purpose of the scripture is to bring you to intimacy with Christ, that you can know him. So if you struggle hearing his voice, this is imperative. It's your birthright as a child of God to know the voice of the Lord. So sit with him in scripture. And then don't hear what I'm not saying. Once you do begin to know his voice, continue to sit in scripture with it. That way you don't end up Coming back and saying, Steve, I'm seeing ships sailing in the night and, uh, there's, <laughs> the Lord said there's four wild, uh, hooved beasts, you know, that are doing this, that, and the other. And then I'll be like, well, can you show me that in the word? <laughs> right? The, so as we're learning to hear his voice, the word, the scriptures, great, yeah, boundary for us. So we don't end up out here somewhere in outer space. <laughs> So Jesus lived connected to the Father. And as we invite people, because that's part of discipleship, and we want to be disciples of Jesus, as we invite people to walk with us, or maybe we're walking with others, let's make sure we keep this in mind. Jesus is better than anything that they'll ever ask him for. So your coworker, he's like, man, my marriage is falling apart. Matt, can you help me? Absolutely. Let's get together. Let's talk. We'll pray together. But the bottom line is, let me invite you to Christ for the sake of knowing Christ. No matter what happens in your marriage, the best part of Christianity is Christ and you knowing him intimately. Does that make sense? In the West, we've got to change our thinking. We've got to quit inviting people to come to Jesus for all the benefits of Jesus. Jesus is the greatest benefit that there is to Christianity. Amen. Go ahead. Give him praise. Amen. So one of his goals was making disciples, and it's one of ours as well. Since 2016, discipleship has been on our radar. We keep hearing it. He keeps saying, I want a culture of discipleship within Grace Church. And so that's part of who we are as we grow in him. Jesus' goal was getting the disciples here in John 17 and those who would believe in him through their word connected to the vine. And then once connected, living in the relational reality of that union, abiding in him, ways, and then works. Let me show you John 15 when we're talking about abiding. Jesus said, abide in me. This is verse 4. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So he defines abiding. Don't do anything without him. Don't run off and do your own thing, your own Christianese, your own Christian way and ask him to bless what you're doing. Just live connected to him and do what he asks you to do. So that's abiding. How about verse 8, John 15, 8? By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. But we're not all jockeying for and competing for fruit production. The, the emphasis here is abiding, living connected. When we form our discipleship relationships and our connections, it's going to be encouragement to stay connected to the vine. It's going to be encouragement to stay yielded to Jesus and in intimacy with Jesus. Because the command here is to abide. Fruit doesn't come from the branch. It comes through the branch. It's his fruit. Fruit comes from him. You guys know this from marriage. In a union, in a marriage union, like our marriage to Jesus, we're going to bear fruit 
We just need to stay married and live in the reality of our connection. Okay, how about this one? That's abiding and then ways. First John 2, 6. He who says he abides in Jesus ought to look somewhat like Jesus. <laughs> I love that passage. <laughs> we should walk as he walked. Why? Because he's living in us and through us. We start looking like him. That's that's big time there. And then number three, works. John fourteen twelve. Truly I say to you, Jesus said, He who believes in me, the works I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Amen. So you've got an advocate. You've got an intercessor praying for you at the very throne of God. That we can partner with him to work the works of God. I like to say it this way. Recognize your need of him. Rest in Him, receive of Him, you begin to reflect Him, and then you begin to restore Him to other people. So what's a fruit of our union with Christ? First service shouted out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the fruit of the Spirit. If you let Scripture interpret Scripture, that's got to include the fruit of the Spirit. But I think it's anything produced out of your life union with Christ. Worship. Sincere and honest, truthful worship, I think, is a fruit of his, uh, your union with him. Prayer, therapeutic, obedience, discipling others, investing in other people because you care about them. And the, the Lord has put his love uh, for them in your heart. Does that make sense? Any, anything that's born out of your life union with him. But the key is, the focus is your life union with him. It's not a competition. Thank you, Jesus. So with all this in John 15, Jesus announces his father's kingdom as a vine that's looking for the most needy, not the most religiously qualified. (laughs) This is a little upside down than performance-based world we live in, isn't it? He's looking for the most needy. Look at this one. The humanistic religious systems of today that work from the outside in. Let's change everybody's behavior from the outside. Always ends in futility and defeat. But the spirit-born system, the kingdom of God as a vine from within, always ends in fruitfulness in life. Jesus said, if you live connected to me, you're going to bear much fruit. So in Matthew 5, 3, you can write that one down if you want. Jesus shows up and it's time for the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going to give a sermon in the Bible. We should probably pay attention. The first statement he says, are you ready for this? How blessed are they who know their need of God? All of heaven belongs to them. How blessed are the poor in spirit? If you're broke, bankrupt, and destitute, if you're empty, if you're void of being able to offer anything to God, then you can have all of him. But you have to acknowledge that you can't be like him without him. Did I mention that in the garden, the original sin is that we're going to be like God without God? Whose image were we made in? God's image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. That's established by Genesis 3. The serpent shows up and says, Oh no, if you'll eat of this tree, the one God told you not to. If you'll declare your independence from him and his voice, separate yourself from him and eat of this tree, you'll be like who? 
you'll be like God. So they already were like God. He tempted them to become something they already were, but he did it by asking them to declare independence from God. And so they did. Matthew chapter 4. Uh, let's go back to chapter 3. The end of chapter 3, Jesus comes up out of the water at baptism. The Father opens the heavens and says what? You are my beloved Son. In you, I'm well pleased. This is who you are. You're my Son. I love you. You're accepted. Matthew 4, the enemy comes. Hadn't changed a bit. What does he say? If you are the Son of God. Well, God just said he was the Son of God. But he said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. If Jesus commands stones and they become bread, he's just sinned. Because he is now, once again, deriving life, identity, source, whatever, from him. He's trying to self-source instead of God. And yet in John five nineteen, now you know why Jesus said the Son of himself can do nothing. Chooses not to do anything of himself. Uh-huh. Because we were made perfect, but derivative. We were made dependent beings. So, Jesus walks right into our neediness. Jesus shows up, and he's looking at all of mankind. We're completely broken, destitute, if we're honest. The Pharisees were not honest. They, w- they refused to acknowledge their need of him. Are you tracking with me? So he walks right into our neediness, and rather than shame us for it, He makes it the chief qualification for gaining entrance and connection to the vine of his father's kingdom. (laughs) Are you flat broke? Are your hands empty? Have you got no righteousness of your own? Not one ounce of holiness? Then you can have all that this vine is offering. Somebody ought to give God praise in the house of God. (laughs) He took the only qualification you had. (laughs) Brokenness, emptiness, neediness. And rather than shame you for it. But why would he show up and shame a branch for having nothing of itself? He wouldn't do it. He's just trying to reconnect the branches back to the vine. And guys, if we're not careful, religion will teach us, man-made religion, even versions of it in Christendom, will cause us to live separate from Him, still trying to produce something good apart from Him. But you can't. So go back to John five nineteen and simply let it be true of you. This son, this daughter, does nothing of himself. I only do... What the vine, my Father, sources me to do. The internal life of Jesus Christ. Now, the beautiful part about this is, we can sit here and say amen. And be like, man, what a great truth. I should get one of Steve's books. Because, wow, that's just profound. (laughs) No. No, you want to know why I'm giving this to you? So you'll get connected. You'll get filled and get after it. That's why I tell you that. Because the qualification you have, we all deal with shame and guilt and all that. We, we know that he's God and we're not. We know this. I'm telling you, this is why Jesus came. To get you free connection back to your source. The one you were designed to receive from. So why do I give you this? So that you'll, you won't judge yourself unworthy. And you'll go ahead and get connected, get filled and get after it. That's why I tell you that. 
the criteria for a relationship with the living vine is your emptiness apart from him. Boy, so be it. Amen, guys. So be it. What if the reason that you have people sit in church their whole life and they never mature, they never bear much fruit, they never produce the things that look like Jesus, what if it's because they were never taught what good branches do? Good branches receive. Good branches live a life of dependence and reliance upon a source that's greater than them. That's everything to them. When I was growing up in church, man, it was like produce, produce, produce. Get out there. Get it done. You know, and I get that. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, you remember when Jesus had to have a talk with Martha, Martha? Mary sitted at Jesus' feet. And then Martha rebukes him. Tell Mary, telling Jesus, Jesus, you tell Mary to come help me. She's inviting Jesus into her dysfunction. And he's inviting her into his rest. And so when he told Mary or Martha that though, that Mary had chosen the good part, he didn't say it was the only part. But she had chosen the first and foremost part. That's, that's where we're at. We've, we've got to get connected. I'm challenging you today to live connected to the vine of Jesus Christ, to abide in him. So there is work, etc., to be done. Choose the good part. It's not the only part. And it does start with him. It does start with him. But here's the thing about it. With the whole uh, Mary and Martha thing. If Martha would sit at his feet, if she would start with the good part, When it comes time to cook dinner and serve, it's great that she's going to serve all of his followers and him, but instead of begrudging it and laboring over it, her heart will be singing instead. She'll sing. She'll serve. Yeah, it's out of her union with him. So I get, I'm saying all that to say going to church and growing up is all about produce. I get that we need to, uh, get out there, but we got to get the first thing first. <laughs> if you get the first thing wrong, everything that comes out will be wrong. And so we have to learn to abide. But even, you know, and Gretchen teaches this well, that when, when we're uh, becoming more like him and walking in his ways, we're still abiding. The only reason I even look like him is because I'm connected to him. And then when I'm working his works, well, the only reason those are effective is because I'm abiding and I'm living connected with him. I'm not doing things instead of him. I'm not doing things for him. I'm simply living out of the relational reality of my union. And good stuff is happening. Boy, that's powerful. Can I say that again? I'm just living in the reality of my relational union with Christ. And good stuff is happening as a byproduct. People are being invested in. People are being loved well. Maybe, you know, your marriage, your family, things are starting to piece together all of a sudden. What are you doing that's so special? I'm just living in the reality of my union with Christ. Amen. Keep it simple. Isn't that what we said? (laughs) Keep it simple, saints. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. That's not what he said. (laughs) Prophet, shepherd. (laughs) Imagine though, church, imagine 
The rest after today, your relationship with God no longer being defined by your eagerness to achieve for Him, but by your willingness to receive from Him. Your willingness to receive from Him. We should be known as people of the Spirit, that we're humble. God opposes the proud and the self-sustaining, but He gives grace to them. We should be known for humility. How about James one twenty one? It says to receive. Everybody say receive. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to what? Save your soul. Your spirit man's already saved. That's where Christ dwells. You're one in the spirit with Christ. I showed you a bunch of those last week and then on the Wednesday live stream. That's where your union is, is in your spirit. But your soul needs some work. Your thought life, your emotions, your choosing, the choices you make. Those, those are under redemption. But, but how do we, how do we save our soul? How does our soul become more and more like Christ? Keep receiving the implanted word of God. It's in your spirit. Keep, keep feasting on him. Keep receiving of him. That's what good branches do. Jesus says to those dabbling in religion, empty your hands of your own self-sufficiency. Empty your hands of your own works, your own self-effort, and your own bill of rights. And receive me as your only source. That's what he's asking him to do. And the Pharisees choked on it. They couldn't do it because they were incredibly self-sufficient. They had 613 rules that they felt in their own mind they obeyed. And so they didn't need help. They were self-righteous. Now listen to this. If faith... And I think this is true. Faith is receptivity that produces his activity or his fruit. I think that's what good branches do. Faith is receptivity that produces his life, his activity and his fruit. Then let's marry that to Romans fourteen twenty three. Anything not from faith is sin. <laughs> The word sin in the Greek is hamartia, like Marsha, 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 but it's not spelled that way, but it's easy to remember. Hamartia <laughs> means to miss the mark. Listen to this. It means to be self-empowered, not God-empowered. Oh, goodness. Anything not from deriving life from Him is sin. Yeah. And then Romans six fourteen, Sin, hamartia, shall not have dominion over you because you're not under law. You're not under the law of performance and self-effort. You're under grace, God's empowering presence that comes, (laughs) thank God, that comes from His inner persuasion is what it says. His inner persuasion leading you from within. Jesus introduced the Father's kingdom as a vine from within that would source you. Remember in the Gospel of Luke, he said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. The kingdom of God is within you. It is a vine whereby we attach ourselves and find life. But it's not a one-time attaching. I'm glad you walked the aisle in 1974 at the Athens, Georgia First Baptist Church. I'm really glad you did that. It's not a one-time receiving. Your salvation is... Your spirit, man, good to go, way to go. But your soul and your body need the very life and expression of Christ. And I I mean it, need it. I did a funeral yesterday 
And I shared with this family that they're too great a creation to be satisfied by anything but God. And I told them, I said, name one thing, one principle Jesus taught or one attitude he embodied. Think of the Beatitudes, you know. Name one thing that he taught or modeled that isn't life-giving or health-producing for human beings. You can't name one. Everything he taught, everything he exemplified is good for you and health to you, body, mind, and spirit. And so that's why I say we need him. We are devoid of life and health apart from Him. He is, after all, the way, the truth, and the life, right? He's not just the way to heaven. He's the way you're designed to live. He's the truth about you. He's the model, the pattern son to be followed. Amen? I mean, He's in line for water baptism, for the remission of sin. He has no sin. Why is He in line? Because He is your pattern. Follow me? You and I needed remission of sin. So branches receive. And anytime we're not receiving, faith is receptivity throughout the day that produces His fruit and His activity. So if we're not receiving, we're actually declaring our independence from God to live on our own and try our best. That's a bad idea. That's how we got into trouble in the garden. We are designed to derive life from Him. Yeah, and also the word sin means separated from God. So let me explain this to you. Your spirit, man, is always abiding. I can show you a scripture that says, if you believe in God's Son, He abides in you and you abide in Him. So in your spirit, you're always connected. Even if I... Do a bunch of big pieces of stupid? Yes. Yeah, because your spirit, you're not sinning by the spirit. But your soul is where he's working on, your soul uh, and your body. That's why Jesus says, that passage I quoted you is in First John. So there is a place of abiding that you're abiding in him and he's abiding in you. You don't cause the, the union to happen, but you participate with it in your soulish man. Your choosing mechanism. You choose to abide in him. That's John 15. He's saying, choose to abide in me. If you choose on a daily basis to abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Anybody know a born-again believer who's one with Christ in spirit, but they're not really bearing any fruit? I mean, look at America. Two-thirds of us claim to be Christian. (laughs) Why would that be? Because we're not choosing to participate with the relational reality of our union that's in our spirit. And it's my soul. That's where my choosing mechanism is. So I choose to participate with Him. That the body may reveal and express the life of the Son that's on the inside of me. Does that make sense to you? It kind of goes with receive with meekness the implanted word of God. Your spirit has a word of God in it. Your soul and your body need to start expressing the life that's in your spirit. This is why he says, if you'll walk by the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So live in the reality of the spirit. Put on the new man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I wrote a book called The True You that's all about the reality of what's in your spirit. Who's in your spirit? So abide in John fifteen four means to live in, remain in, dwell in, and stay in. 
Let me put it back up there for you. He says, abide in me and I in you. means to live in, remain in, dwell in, and stay in. So again, you're not causing the union to happen, but I am challenging you today to live in the relational reality of your union, to choose to abide in him. It's the same with righteousness. Matt is already righteous in his spirit, man. Christ gifted righteousness to him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's a gift, it's his. But he can choose to participate with his righteous new creation identity, or he can choose not to. Okay? So abiding, if you're taking notes, is not living under pressure to perform something. Abiding is living in partnership with his presence. Okay? So it's not pressure to perform, it's partnership with his presence. Abiding is not living in regret. (laughs) It's living in the reality of your relationship. Mike Daniel said this this week on my podcast. Christ is doing the living. Steve is doing the letting. I like it. Christ is doing the living, but Clay is doing the letting. Remember, he doesn't want to just be resident. Don't tuck him away somewhere. He wants to be president. Let him be the life that's expressed in you. Abiding is not living for Jesus. That's a separate, uh, separation mindset. Abiding is living from Jesus as your source, recognizing he's with you and in you. All right? Uh, abiding is not trying harder. Abiding is resting in his love with nothing to prove. You're not trying to gain acceptance, gain approval, gain points. You, you can't get more points than Jesus scored for you. Amen, somebody. And abiding is not living from the lie of lack, that somehow you lack something. You're incomplete. You're not there. Abiding is living from Christ's supply. Colossians 2.10 says you're complete in Him. I'm going to ask you again, what would your life look like if you knew you lacked for nothing? Tuesday night I was in a, in a discipleship group and this young man, God bless him, but he kept saying at dinner, I just have no patience. I have no patience. I have no patience. I just can't do it. I leaned over and whispered to him. I said, does Christ live in you? And he said, yes. I said, then you are full of patience. You're just choosing not to participate with all the patience that lives in the vine. Can I say again, what would our lives look like if we turned from the lie of lack and realized because of our marriage union to Christ, we don't lack for anything. He's not short on patience. He's believed a lie that he doesn't have any patience. What does the Lord really expect him to do? Go conjure it? Go conjure some human patience? Go try harder. Conjure that patience. You can do it. No, the Lord wants him to what? Yield to the patience of Christ that's present present in him. Do not say, I cannot love my neighbor. Well, maybe, maybe... If you did say it, Jesus would be like, yes, now I've got you where I want you. I will love your neighbor through you. Because I died for him. <laughs> Come on, somebody. See, you, you're stuck in looking at his present condition. Jesus is looking at his potential in Christ. Man, how far did you get in your own strength? <laughs> Not very far, I would say. <laughs> but that's the lie of lack. This young man had believed a lie. I don't have any patience. I'm not patient. I can't do it. You've got all the patience of Christ in you if you're willing to yield to the vine. 
and realize that you're created to be dependent. You're a derivative being. So derive patience from Christ. It goes back to 1 John 4, 20. We love because he first loved us. We don't have a loving others problem. We have a receiving problem. We are receiving challenged. It's so funny when we do those outreaches. We haven't done done them in a few years, but free car washes, absolutely free hot dogs, Free soda, free water, back to school supplies. We just go all over Choctaw and Oklahoma Park and give them all away for free. And people are so receiving challenge, they throw money at us. We tell them, listen, remember Sylvia? It's like, no, this is not a fundraiser. And you cannot, we, we are doing this outreach to demonstrate to you that God's love and salvation in Christ is free. It cannot be earned. So we're just asking you to receive us washing your car for nothing. And we still have people drive off and throw a 20 out the window. (laughs) We had to tell the people at Dollar General in Tacoma Park off 23rd one year, we just told them, listen, okay, you're not buying the stuff, but if you must do this, go inside, buy some school supplies and put them on our table and we will sew them for free. (laughs) People are receiving challenged. That's not what Jesus announced. He said, whoever acknowledges that you're broke without God, that you can't be like him without him, all of heaven belongs to you. The humble, the poor in spirit. I was at a funeral one time and this guy said, you're the hot dog guy. (laughs) Yep, that was us. We even did one. We'd have the sign that said, absolutely free car wash. They still didn't believe us. They thought because... We were of religious affiliation. It was a fundraiser, but we'd have to try to explain it to them. So then we changed it to a $1 car wash. And when they'd pull in, we'd wash their car, and they're thinking, oh, it's only a dollar. So, And then we'd give them a dollar. <laughs> that really messed them up. It is a $1 car wash, but we're giving you a dollar. Why? We believe in at Grace Church. You cannot earn or buy or occasion of your own efforts the love of God or salvation in Jesus Christ. We are branches. We are designed to receive and we are somewhat receiving challenged. (laughs) I was sitting in John 15 earlier this week and this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, Steve, abide in me. Live in the relational reality of our union. You lack for nothing. We are connected. I'm the source. You're the recipient. I'm the supply. You're the vessel. And I don't just use you to supply others. Isn't that great? I don't just use you. Oh, I supply you as well. He was emphatic about that. I supply you life and joy and intimacy and love and holiness. All you need that pertains to life and godliness. Look at this question. What would life be like each day if you knew you lacked for nothing? I am your shepherd. Therefore, you do not want I am all you need to love Stacy and your family fully as well as anyone else I place in your path every day. Live in the relational reality of our union. My goodness. So living by his supply lifts us out of thinking about what we don't have. Think of all the money that's been made by trying to get people to give out of the mindset that they don't have enough. Now, I am for financially giving and sowing and time and all that. Okay, it's a biblical principle as far as sowing and reaping. 
But this idea of manipulating people, that somehow they don't have enough, but if they'll throw God a bone, he'll throw them three more, is heresy. They don't understand the marriage union. Did I mention, I don't think it's good husbandry to tell your wife, I know we're married now, but you'll have to work for anything you want from me. (laughs) The Lord asked me one time, Steve, what did you not get when I came inside of you to live? So why is it that you're working for these things? Just receive them. Make your requests known to me with thanksgiving in your heart. We read that earlier. And then lastly, here's Ephesians 5, 29. For no one's ever hated his own flesh. He nourishes it. He cherishes it as the Lord does the church. For we're members of his body. Who's he talking about? Jesus. He's talking about, oh yes, us and Jesus. We are members of his body, Christ's body. We are flesh of his flesh, bone of his bones. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two become one. Jesus left the father to marry you. And if you don't believe me, look at verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I'm really talking about you in Christ. My goodness. We have to begin to live in the relational reality of our union with Christ, that he'll never leave you or forsake you. I was with um, a person the other day and they asked me, is it possible? They felt like the enemy had lied to them. Is it possible that the Holy Spirit is no longer with me? So I had to read John fourteen sixteen. Read this out loud to me, where Jesus said, when I send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, he will abide with you forever, forever. Guys, we've got to live in the reality of our marriage to Christ. Steve, you guys can come. Jesus left the throne of his father to be joined to his wife so the two could become one. And then let's go back to John 17. When we live in the reality of our oneness, that was his prayer. Right, Mary Bell? We we live in the reality of our oneness. Then the world will know. We've been trying so hard for him. We forgot to enjoy him, live in that reality of our union with him. And then we'll bear much fruit. I want to leave you with this. Brother Dwayne Sheriff, Dwayne and Sue Sheriff, I don't know if you guys know him, he pastors down in Durant. Many years ago, when he first answered the call to ministry, uh, launched out into the deep in faith, and it wasn't too long, period of months, that they were flat broke. He and Sue had a couple of little ones at this time, didn't have any money. Uh, matter of fact, uh, the cupboards were so bare, Sue went around, just took all the cans of different stuff they had, mixed them all together, stirred it up, and that's what they ate for dinner. Basically, it was their last meal in Dwayne's mind. And as they're sitting there finishing up uh, dinner, the enemy spoke to Dwayne. And he said, First Timothy 5.8 says that if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel enemy quoted that to him and Dwayne was so heavy already so much guilt so much shame so much pain that he's not taking care of his family what have I done did I totally miss God and in the midst of all that there was a knock at the door and when they opened the door there was a woman standing there with about 20 sacks of groceries lining their porch and she said I am so sorry the Lord told me to do this two weeks ago but I just didn't believe it was him and I, I didn't want anything to be awkward. I thought it can't be that they're out of money. This just can't be. But he would not relent. And so here I am. I hope this is okay. Well, they cried. They cried. 
Amen. How blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. So they cry. And as they take all these groceries in, while they're putting uh, the groceries in the cabinet, the Lord spoke to Dwayne. And here's what he said. Dwayne, I'm your husband. And you are my bride. And if I don't provide for you, I would be worse than an infidel. And I want you to remember this day for the rest of your days that I will never lack providing for you and your family. And he began to show Dwayne the mystery of the marriage covenant that exists between Christ and his church. That husband lives in you. And this is where we are as a church. We are getting an an incredible invite to walk and talk with Jesus, to abide in him on a regular basis because I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. If we're going to disciple others, it would behoove us to know Him well. Know Him well. Will you stand with me? We had a young lady give her life to Christ this morning in first service. I want to ask... You've been listening to Grace Church, advancing God's kingdom one heart at a time. For more visit us online at gracechurch.community.